All right, we are continuing our study through the book of Hebrews here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this session, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And this is part of a longer section that began in chapter 8, where the author of Hebrews is exploring the new covenant and the better promises of the new covenant. This is the final section of that. In fact, at the end of the section, he's going to requote the Old Testament passage from Jeremiah 31 that he quoted in Hebrews chapter 8 to set up this whole discussion. And so he has been exploring how it is that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And in chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, he shifted from uh, thinking so much about the old covenant sacrifices, specifically to the offering of Jesus himself. And there in chapter 9, 23 through 28, the author mentioned a couple things that are explained further here in 10, 1 through 18. The first thing he mentioned is how Jesus sacrificed himself. He brought his own blood into the true and heavenly tabernacle. That's how he dealt with sins. The second thing he mentioned in 9, 23 through 28 is that the sacrifice only needed to be done once. Well, here in 10, 1 through 18, as he continues his explanation of the superiority of the new covenant, the author now develops these two points, the sacrifice of himself and doing it only once. He continues to develop those two points to finish off his reflections on this theme that he began way back in chapter 8. And so the big idea here in chapter 10, 1 through 18 is this. Jesus's superior sacrifice makes the better promises of the new covenant possible. And so we pick up in chapter 10, verse 1, with the word for. He's continuing his explanation of how Jesus' sacrifice made the new covenant better. And he does so by saying, for the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the form of those things itself, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually every year make those who approach perfect. And so the law is a way to stand in for the old covenant. The law and the old covenant oftentimes are spoken of synonymously. Um, the law was a key part of the old covenant. And so the law, that is the old covenant, um, it, it couldn't by the same sacrifices make the worshipers perfect. That's the main idea of this long kind of broken up sentence. The, the old covenant could not make worshipers perfect or complete. He says part of the reason for that is it, it's only a shadow of the good things to come. And he mentioned this for the first time in chapter 8, verse 5, when he first started talking about this new covenant thing and saying that the old covenant was just a shadow uh, of it. Well, a shadow is the kind of thing that if you follow it along, right, like, oh, what's making that shadow? And you follow the shadow along, well, you end up with the, the body, the thing that's casting the shadow, the tree, the car, the bird, right? The person. That's how shadows work. And so here, the, the body or the substance, the thing that's casting the shadow is described as the good things to come. Uh, that is the good things to come in the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of God's promises that had, you know, the, during the age of promise, that Old Testament age, now have come to their fulfillment in Messiah. And so it is the good things to come that is casting 
the shadow. And notice he uses the word form and not the form of those things itself. So the old covenant is the shadow, not the form. And the word for form there is literally the word for image. That is the solid thing casting the shadow, the actual reality. Now, don't forget the original setting of the book of Hebrews. You have Jewish believers in Jesus considering abandoning their faith in Messiah Jesus and returning to the old covenant. And the implication by virtue of these words here is, guys, that's like that's like leaving the thing itself, leaving the reality and going and clinging to the shadow. Why would you do that? Oh, I love the shadow so much more than the person who casts the shadow. The shadow, he says, can never make those who approach or draw near to God perfect. The word approach or draw near there is the word regularly used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for worshipers coming near to God. And so the idea is, is that the shadow, that is the old covenant, can never make perfect those who draw near to worship God. And the idea of make perfect is bring it to completion. It can never bring final and complete redemption and and cleansing and salvation. The old covenant did not provide for that. And this is true even though they offer those sacrifices continually every year, year after year, he says. Like no matter how many times they offer those things, they just couldn't actually bring final full redemption and cleansing. Then in verse 2, he actually asks a rhetorical question to help him see this and grasp this point. Look at verse 2. He says, otherwise, that is, if they could make clean, if they could make perfect, right? If they could bring completion, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. In other words, If all the sacrifices and offerings of the Old Covenant actually were designed and intended and were capable of bringing complete cleansing, then they would have stopped. If they brought perfect and final cleansing and forgiveness, you wouldn't need to keep doing them. Right? Doesn't that just make sense? Those sacrifices would have stopped if they were capable of doing that. But they didn't stop. They were continual. And thus... That indicates that they didn't actually bring completion to the worshipers. They weren't the final word on this issue of cleansing and forgiveness. One little note that's really important when he says, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. In this translation, the word consciousness there doesn't mean like awareness of. They would no longer be aware of sins. Obviously, now that Messiah Jesus has come and his better sacrifice has been offered, those who know Jesus and are in him, we still have consciousness of sins. That's not what the word means. It's actually the same word translated conscience in verse 9 of chapter 9. And there he also is talking about perfecting the worshiper in conscience. It's the same idea as here. What we're talking about is removing the guilt and the shame of sin. If it could do that, then they would have stopped. And they didn't stop, so it's clear they couldn't do that. Well, then what did they do? Since they didn't provide complete final cleansing and redemption, what effect, what effect did those old covenant sacrifices have? Well, look at verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The effect was not to remove sin, but to remind of sin every year. After year, another atonement ceremony. In fact, 
as the author will mention shortly, this was actually uh, daily. Like it's not just yearly sacrifices, it's daily sacrifices. So you got daily sacrifices. Then you have the annual cleansing uh, day of atonement ceremony. And they just kept going on and on and on. And all of that served to indicate that cleansing wasn't complete. More was needed. Why did they not affect complete cleansing? Well, look at verse 4. For it's impossible, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Ultimately, this is why the Old Testament sacrificial system failed to take care of sin. Bulls and goats are provisional. They're a stopgap measure, but they're not the final way sins can and need to be taken care of. And that's why the Messiah, when he came, Jesus, he didn't just offer another of the same kind of sacrifices. He knew something more and something better was needed. And so what happens now here in chapter 10 is the author of Hebrews quotes a psalm about the Messiah um, to show that burnt offerings and sacrifices weren't the end-all, be-all of what God had planned as his way to deal with sin. So look at verse 5. Therefore... Like, since Old Testament sacrifices didn't bring complete cleansing, since it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, when he comes into the world means uh, the Messiah. When the Messiah comes into the world, he says, so he puts these words from Psalm chapter 40 into the mouth of the Messiah. This Psalm is a Psalm of David, but the way those psalms often work is many of them find their ultimate fulfillment in the great son of David, the ultimate Davidic king, the Messiah himself, the one who fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. And so the author here of Hebrews shows these words from Psalm 46 and 7 as finding their ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah. So he says, when he comes into the world, the Messiah says, you haven't desired sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me. You have not taken pleasure in whole burnt offerings and offerings for sin. Then I said, behold, I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book to do your will, O God. Again, this is from Psalm 40, verses 6 and 7. And the main idea is that doing God's will is greater than burnt offerings. Like the ultimate thing God desires is not burnt offerings and sacrifices. What he wants is people to do his will. And that idea actually shows up in a number of places in the Old Testament. For example, the, the super well-known line from 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 that says, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what God ultimately wants. Uh, or David's own words in Psalm 51, sacrifices and offerings you haven't desired, a broken and contrite heart you won't reject, he says in Psalm 51. So that's the central idea of these words from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. But in putting it into the mouth of the Messiah, the ultimate human being and the ultimate son of David, um, the author of Hebrews takes that to sort of an ultimate fulfillment. And so um, we will see, as he explains it here in a second, what that ultimate fulfillment is. Now, before we leave those words we just read from Psalm 40, uh, a technical little bit of an aside, but it's important. Notice he says, you have not desired sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me. That phrase, you have prepared a body for me, 
will probably read different if you go and read that in your Old Testament right now in Psalm chapter 40 and the way it reads here. And the reason for that is because Hebrews quotes Psalm 40 verse 6 from the Septuagint. That is from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in fact, that's typical in the book of Hebrews. He typically uses the, that translation. Um, and the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, reads, a body was prepared. But the majority of the Hebrew manuscripts we have in the Masoretic text, which oftentimes our Old Testament follows that reading, says, an ear was open. Now, it's not clear which one is original. The Septuagint is actually older than the Masoretic text, and so it's not totally clear. But either way, it makes the same point. An ear is a part of the body. And so Jewish scribes understood that, and when saying an ear was open for me, it means that um, a part, i.e. an ear, actually stands for the whole, right? Like we'll do this in the English language when we say nice wheels. We're not talking about wheels. We're talking about a car, right? A part stands for the whole. Well, uh, that's often uh, the way figures of speech work. And so the Jewish scribes that translated the Old Testament into Greek understood uh, an ear as a part of the body and then just freed it up to say, actually, what we're talking about is a whole body is prepared so that we can do the will of God. And in this case, so that the Messiah can do the will of God, that he's the ultimate fulfillment of these words. And so when he comes into the world and he's incarnate in a body, he's given a body so that he can do the will of God. Well, in verses 8 and 9, then, the author of Hebrews explains the point he wants to make from Psalm 46 and 7 with regard to Jesus and the new covenant. And so he says in verse 8, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, uh, which are all offered according to the law. They all are offered according to the covenant. So it's like God commanded them. And yet here the psalmist says, yeah, that's not really what you want. Verse 9, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And so the author of Hebrews is explaining um, the implication from the psalm in the context of the Messiah. And his, his explanation contrasts the sacrifices prescribed by the old covenant law with what the Messiah did by offering himself. Those offerings are really not what God desired. They're not want, uh, ultimately what he wanted. Yes, he prescribed them, but they weren't the end-all be-all. They weren't the final word on the matter. Doing his will was. That's what God really wants. He wants people to do his will, and the Messiah who Hebrews is saying is the ultimate fulfillment of these words, the Messiah was given a body to do his will, and the high point of doing God's will for the Messiah was his self-sacrifice. And so in verse 10, he draws this out. He says this, By this will, that is, as Messiah did God's will with his body, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, once for all time. Whereas the offerings of bulls and goats can never cleanse the worshipers, Jesus' offering of himself can and does. We have been sanctified 
we have been set apart. We have been cleansed and made holy for God's purposes. That's the idea of sanctified. And we were, we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus the Messiah. And notice, once for all, not year after year, not daily, once for all time. So he only had to die once. That's how powerful his sacrifice was. In fact, the author drives this point home in verse 11 and 12 by emphasizing the contrast between the daily sacrifices of the priests and the once-for-all sacrifice of the Messiah. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins every day. Morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, and they can never take away sins. If they could, they would have stopped, as he already said, but they didn't. And so every priest stands daily offering these sacrifices, but, verse 12, he, that is Jesus the Messiah, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, this is the theme, clear back at the beginning of the book, that the author of Hebrews already alluded to that he was going to develop in chapter 1, verse 3, when he said, when he, Messiah, had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what that means is his work is done. His work is complete. Notice the contrast. Every priest stands. He sat down. They stand because they're still working. He sat down because the job is done. And so, whereas the old covenant priests uh, stand offering these sacrifices, they keep standing because their, their sacrifices could never take away sins. But he offered one sacrifice for all people, for all time, and he sat down. The cleansing work is now done. And that's the point. And so now his job is done. He's seated at the right hand of God. And verse 13 then says, and he's waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool under his feet. And so now he's reigning as king until all his enemies, the last enemy of which is death itself, when he eradicates that until all his enemies are put under his feet. This waiting period is actually alluded to in Hebrews chapter 2, 8, when he noted that we actually don't see everything under the Messiah's feet right now, right? But someday we will. And so the intervening time between one sacrifice reigning until he returns again um, to finish everything off. And so the author then states the, the, the final point, the big idea, verse 14, for by one offering, he, Messiah, has perfected what the Old Testament law or sacrifices couldn't do. They couldn't bring perfection. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Um, he has brought, and when it says perfected, the idea is completion. He has uh, brought cleansing and redemption to completion. He's brought full and final uh, cleansing and redemption to people. He's done that for all time for those who are, are sanctified. That is, those who are set apart as God's holy people and who are being made holy by him. The basic idea of being sanctified it comes from the same root word as the word holy, and it means to be set apart uh, for God. And so we're set apart as his property, we belong to him, and we're being made holy by him. This, then, is how the new covenant 
was ratified and inaugurated and put into effect. And that's why it's better. That's why it includes better promises as Jeremiah 31, 31 promise. Remember, it was Jeremiah 31 that the author of Hebrews quoted in chapter 8 that now he's been interacting with that all through chapters 9 and 10 to this moment. And so now, now that he's made his point, he wraps up this whole section by quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 and following again. He says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, This is the covenant which I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart. I will write them on their mind. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will no longer remember. And so that's the climactic point. Um, He started with that quote in chapter 8. He's now explained how did that happen? How did Jesus become the mediator of a better covenant? How come it has better promises? Well, he's explained all of that. And so he wraps up the section by returning to this this quote to say, uh, Indeed, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant that is founded on better promises. Now we know why it is um, that uh, our... Our sins and our lawless deeds are remembered no more. Now we know why it is that as the law can be written on our hearts and we can be given a new heart. Now we know why it is that we are actually brought to completion in him. And so he finishes this whole section with the climactic point in verse 18 by saying, Now where there is forgiveness of these things, an offering for sin is no longer required. And this verse rounds out the discussion about Christ's once-for-all sacrifice by returning to the concept found in uh, chapter 10, verse 2. Like, when he asked that rhetorical question, if those sacrifices could have done it, wouldn't they have stopped? Well, his sacrifice did do it, and therefore, sacrifice and offering for sin has stopped. There is no longer any need for it. It's no longer required. Uh, We don't need to continue to offer sacrifices or anything else for sin. Sin has been dealt with finally, effectively, and completely in Jesus. And we can rejoice that he no longer remembers our sins and our lawless deeds. That they are dealt with and we have been brought to completion. We have been brought to full cleansing and sanctification in Jesus the Messiah. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Listener's Commentary. If you want more resources, you can check out the Study Hub at listenerscommentary.com. I'm building that out, and it's taking time, but I'm building it out with uh, maps, charts, pictures, images, anything that I think will help you dig in and study the text for yourself. Things like pictures of the tabernacle or charts of the Old Testament sacrifices just to help you understand more of what's going on here in the book of Hebrews. So you can check that out at listenerscommentary.com. And as always, I'm deeply grateful to those of you who support this Bible teaching ministry through your generosity. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you as you seek and serve him.